And I'm Katie King. And this is True True Crime Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us, as per usual, on this episode of True Crime New England. We're always happy, always, to have you here. Katie, how are you doing? Not too shabby. How are you doing? I'm doing. We're good. We're out here, as they say. (laughs) We out here. We do be out here. Yes. With, you know, a very... Very sad case today. And even before we get into the case, another sad case. Yeah, this one, and I feel like we're not going to end up covering it as a full episode on this podcast, mm-hmm. which is why I kind of wanted to do it as an intro. Yeah, um, They're being pretty hush-hush with the information coming out of it. I think partly because it does involve a nurse and a patient, and partly because the corporation that this nurse worked for is also a little shady it sounds like um so i really don't foresee it being that big in the media for us to cover it on a full episode um but it does hit close to home for us because it does involve the murder of a nurse yeah 63 year old joyce grayson she was a mom of six and she was a foster mom to over 35 kids throughout her life that's amazing like salt of the earth already absolutely She was a home health nurse in Connecticut, so that's another reason why I wanted to talk about it on here, because New England, obviously. Right, that's in our title. She was murdered by a patient who assaulted her in his home when she was there to provide him with care on October 29th. So pretty recent. Um, It'll be a couple weeks ago now from when this episode comes out, but still pretty recent, so hopefully there's more information by the time that you guys are listening to this. Mm She was sent there by her employer. It was a transitional house in Willimantic, Connecticut. The patient was living there after he was released from prison, which, you know, fine. Formerly incarcerated individuals need care, too. Absolutely. But he had a history of assault charges, and he was a registered sex offender. Mm. So I'm not quite sure why this woman's employer thought that it was a good idea to have her go there alone. Right. Number one. And two, I'm really not sure why this referral to take this patient on was even accepted. Because as a company, you have the right to refuse a referral if you think that, you know, for any reason. Mm. You might have too many patients. You might not want to take on that patient. You might look at a patient's criminal history and decide that it's not a safe patient for you to take on and assign to a nurse. Right. So this referral was clearly accepted out of negligence and greed as opposed to the safety of their staff. And her body was found in the basement of this transitional house after her GPS location was tracked and she missed the rest of her patient visits for the day. Wow. So she was telling all of her patients, you know, hey, I'll be there around this time. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Let me know if you need anything, yada, yada. And then patients are calling her agency and saying, hey... You know, this nurse, Joyce, we really like her. She's a great nurse. She's normally very punctual. Mm -hmm. She hasn't shown up and we haven't heard from her. And this agency was getting multiple calls throughout that day, October 29th. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, we haven't heard from Joyce. She hasn't shown up. This is really weird. You know, you might want to look into it. And the agency was just kind of like, yeah, it was Joyce's family that realized, oh, my God, she's not home. We have to figure out where she is. And they track her GPS to the basement of the transitional house. Right. Her agency she worked for was New England Home Care, which is now Alara Caring. So our fellow nurses out there, um, maybe if they're hiring, don't. Don't. I work at a hospice agency, and it's pretty similar to 
what Joyce was doing where, you know, you go into patients' houses all day long. I go into a couple nursing homes as well. Um, and sometimes you have no idea what you're walking into. Like yeah. I've gone into houses that are maybe not in the best areas or, you know, I've gone into a couple houses where the patients or someone that the patient was living with has been a hoarder yeah. and it might not just be the best home environment. Um, and honestly, this was my greatest fear I had before I started working with my company is I'm going to be alone. Mm -hmm. I'm alone by myself mm -hmm. going into these houses. Can you see my location? What's the protocol? What happens if, you know, my patients are calling and saying they haven't heard from me or right. if you guys don't hear from me and how long does it take for you guys to track my location? Um, and the way that I do documentation on the go is on a tablet. And so I did confirm with my office, like when I was hired and then after I heard about this case mm -hmm. that they can, like they're not tracking us all day, right. but they do have access to our location through our little tablet. Um, nursing in general, incredibly dangerous. Yes. So unsafe. Actually, nursing statistically is more dangerous than law enforcement and police. We're a more dangerous profession. Um, I mean, no surprise there. And the, really the only difference is that when nurses are attacked, assaulted, even murdered, mm -hmm. management, instead of addressing the situation appropriately, normally, especially in hospitals, management will ask, oh, yeah, what could have been done differently? Mm -hmm. What could we have done differently? What can we do in the future? Yeah. And, you know, I was taught in nursing school, do not wear your stethoscope around your neck because it's a very easy ligature target. Patients have used nurses' stethoscopes to choke them out, yeah. to hurt them. It's a very easy target. Nothing long around your neck. No um, lanyards. Especially when no lanyards. Careful with your hair. Yeah. Um, dangly earrings. Anything that they can grab on. Yeah. So it just is really, really unfortunate that this happened. And unfortunately, I'm not super shocked that yeah. it happened, but it's really disturbing that it could have been so easily prevented by yeah. her company looking at this referral and saying, yeah, no, this seems really unsafe. We should not send her alone or maybe even, hey, can we send another nurse or, hey, me as a member of management, I don't want my staff going into a transitional house with a formerly incarcerated individual who just served time for assault right. by herself let me take one for the team and go right. out with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know at my office, my managers and even the director of the whole office, like the boss boss, will drop what they're doing and drive out to us. Yeah. They will see patients all the time. They do admissions. Mm -hmm. They will help us. They will come when we call them if they if we need anything. Mm -hmm. So I'm very lucky to work at the office that I do. We would have, I know for a fact, turned down that referral yeah. or either set up a system where we were going as pairs. Yes. And we do that quite frequently where we team up and do joint visits. We call them quite frequently, whether the patient is a little heavier and right. maybe could benefit from two sets of hands versus one or yeah. even just for safety. Sure. So I know for a fact that my office would have handled this very, very differently. Yeah. Um, but it's just really disturbing that a nurse who was such a lovely human being by all accounts and was doing what she loved met her end in that way, in a way that could have been prevented. And yeah. just nursing in general, if you guys have anyone that works in healthcare, whether they're nurses, doctors, custodial staff, mm -hmm. working in the dining area, healthcare can be really unsafe. Patients are violent, unpredictable. Yes. So if you have anybody that works in healthcare, just tell them that they're the rock star that they are because yeah. it can really be hard sometimes. 
And as nurses, we are trained to just, like, in the hospital setting, if a patient attacks you, you are trained to just take it. Mm -hmm. You have to. Because if you try to defend yourself, you are the one who is going to lose your job. You are the one who is going to get sued. You are the one who is going to have to owe perhaps a patient who may have knocked your teeth out or broken your nose or, you know, dislocated your shoulder. You are going to have to owe them hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you have to just take it. And even for me on a labor and delivery unit, we're a locked unit for the safety of the babies, of course, but also with cases of parents who are upset because their babies were taken away or maybe they're mad at their ex or whatever. We've had many instances, even just recently, I came into work in the hallway on my unit was lined with security guards. And I was like, oh boy, what am I walking into today? And I live in like, my community hospital is pretty okay. It's unsettling how sometimes there is a real threat of danger, you know, and especially when there are children involved. You know, I see a lot. I've We've been threatened many times, you know, and sometimes when you leave work, you're a little nervous or you don't want to go alone because you're scared. Um, you know, an angry dad is waiting in the parking lot for you. It's very real. And while in the parking lot I could defend myself or whatever, in the hospital, I have to take it. You have to just take it. And none of my patients are hitting me or biting me or, you know, full body slamming me and whatever. But every other department, whatever, you just got to take it. Right. Right. And regardless of whether a patient is a psych patient or not, I mean, if they're going through something and they're not mentally responsible for their actions mm-hmm. or like a dementia patient. Yeah. I used to yeah. work in a dementia unit. I would get my ass yeah. beat yeah. eight hours a day, five days a week, six days a week. Yeah. And you know, that was unfortunate and it was awful and it was honestly really traumatizing, but it's nothing really I can do because these people have dementia and they right. genuinely do not know what they're doing. It's not their fault. Right. But with patients who genuinely do know what they're doing you can't, it's very frowned. I mean, you could press charges, but it's very frowned upon by a lot of healthcare corporations, especially in hospitals to press charges, which is wild. And I tell patients all the time, especially when I was working in psych, I would tell patients all the time, this behavior, Mm -hmm. if we were out in the parking lot, if we were down the street at the gas station or in a grocery store Mm -hmm. and you were acting this way, it would be a completely different ball of wax. Oh yeah. I'd be calling the police. I'd be pressing charges. We'd be going to court. It would be a whole big thing. But because you in this situation are a patient, Mm -hmm. I just have to sit here and take it. And it is such BS. And I think there needs to be system-wide change. And so many nurses and healthcare workers have been screaming this from the rooftops for forever because, you know, a lot of healthcare workers are afraid sometimes to go into their jobs. Oh, yeah. And that is not including a psychiatric setting. Right. Right. Just general med surge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's awful. And all of that to say is, of course, with this case, you know, this could have been prevented. And clearly it was a lot to do with the negligence of the company she worked for and the regulations that healthcare organizations have for protecting their nurses, which is minimal. Yeah, especially where healthcare in this country is so focused on profit and cash money. Yeah, we don't make a lot of Right. We're seen as disposable as fuck. Which is interesting because they're constantly asking for more of us. And yet they don't pay us like they want us. Hmm. 
Huh. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> but anywho, that's, yeah, that's a really sad story. And I'm sure that really hits close to home for you, obviously, of course, being that you, you know, are a home health aide in a sense. You know, you're, yeah. you, you know, you do hospice. That's terrible. And it's very real. Very real. I hate it. Yeah. Today's case is wild, too. Um, really, really sad. It does involve a pretty brutal murder of a child. So mm-hmm. if that's not something for you, then not a problem. We'll see you next week. And it definitely involves some mental health. Per usual. I feel like every case we cover has a, a hint, if not a smattering of mental health issues. But this one, you know, death of a child. Brutal. It's, yeah, it's not great. So... If you can't handle it, I we understand, but you should stick around if you're able to. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. And it was suggested to us by Molly M via our website submission tool and Carrie R via our Instagram DMs. So thank you both for bringing this case to our attention. We're really glad to be covering it today. It's It's a good one. It's a lot. Thank you, Molly. And thank you, Carrie. We appreciate your submissions. And without further ado, today we will be covering... The murder of Selena Cass. Okay, Katie. I have a lot of sources, personally. How about you? I do have quite a bit today. What are they? They are The Caledonian Record, Union Leader Times 2, Unresolved Mysteries Reddit Thread, Jim Fisher True Crime at blogspot.com. That was a really great resource as well as CBS News, NBC News, WHPR.org, and WMUR. Nice. I, too, use Jim Fisher's true crime blog. Great. It was good good information. I used a blog called Tie Grabber. I used an article from... I actually used several articles from the New Hampshire Public Radio. I used an Unsolved Mysteries Reddit thread. Just as similarly as I used several web sleuth threads just because there's a lot of input from people and I liked the conversation. I just liked reading it. Um, I also used the International Business Times, In-Depth New Hampshire, and Legacy.com. Awesome. Selena Marie Cass was born in Colebrook, New Hampshire on January 2nd, 2000 to parents Adam Laro and Louisa Cass Noyes. Selena was well-loved as a little girl. She lived with her mom, her stepdad, her sister, and she also lived with the son of one of her mother's ex-boyfriends. That's a little bizarre. We'll get into that later. Selena attended the Stewartstown Community School, where she was surrounded by friends. She loved to play basketball. She was on the basketball team for a different school, actually. She loved it. She was also a big fan of dancing and swimming. She loved fishing. She loved yoga. She was clearly a very active young girl. And I'm sure for those of you who are a little bit older and around this area, you've probably seen her picture, um, especially when it first happened, because it's this very cute picture of her in a basketball uniform. And she has this big smile on her face and her one front tooth is sticking out. And it's so cute. Oh my God. What a sweetie little girl. Yeah. It's very cute. She, according to her obituary, Selena was a total mama's girl, and she also loved anything that had to do with her family, her friends. She was always just, she was very social, very active, and clearly just like an all-around good girl. 
I would like to specify that her fishing passion was specifically catch and release because she liked to save the fishies. Very sweet. Very sweet. That's a girl after my own heart there. On the night of July 25th, 2011, Selena was playing on the family computer at about 9.30 p.m. This wasn't like in the living room or in a common space, you know. The next morning, Selena was gone. She hadn't gone back to her room to sleep. She wasn't sleeping somewhere else in the house. She had just disappeared. Obviously, the police were called, and their first impression wasn't super conclusive. They determined there was no forced entry into the home. That was pretty obvious. Um, But they also determined it would be kind of bizarre for Selena to just leave at any point after 9.30, especially, whether it be with someone she knew or a stranger. Definitely not a stranger. She would never leave with a stranger, at least not of her own free will. You know, unless she was kidnapped, is what they were saying. Obviously... Just as quickly as the police were called, a huge search started because oh, this girl, she Selena's 11 at this point. She's only 11 years old and she's gone missing within like a 12 hour period. There's no force entry. There's no signs of anything suspicious. So like, what the fuck happened? Where did she go? Yeah. And her town was really small too. She had moved to West Stewartstown, New Hampshire, and the town had easily about 800 people. So mm-hmm. Tiny. Very tiny. Um, it was up by the Vermont-Canadian border, so really up north. Yeah. Um, and the school that she played basketball for was actually in Vermont. That's how mm-hmm. close she was to the border. It wasn't far for her at all. Yeah. And the massive search, massive, 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 over 100 police officers and members of law enforcement, mm-hmm. crowds of people, search and rescue dogs, the FBI got involved pretty quickly. Which is wonderful. Yeah, that's... Their response time was really, really quick, and they actually offered a $25,000 reward. Her stepfather, Wendell, who was 47 years old at this time, helped with the search, and he brought police and volunteers around to several different areas where he thought Selena might be. Hmm. Wendell told reporters that Selena got along well with her family members, and she never goes out of the house. And then, addressing Selena, he looked right at the cameras and stated... Get your butt home. Which, you know, is kind of inappropriate. And this is, like, within, like, a day or two after she's gone missing. So he's clearly, thus far, taking a very nonchalant approach to her disappearance. Almost like he knows something. Right. Or even, like, a little coming off as angry. Like, yes. Get your butt home. Right. Right. And this is her stepfather. Mm-hmm. Right. He also gave some pretty inconsistent statements to investigators. He was telling them different times that he last saw Selena, just changing his story. You know, yeah, he she was playing the computer games at 9.30 mm-hmm. and, oh, just kidding, I went down for a glass of water at 11. She was still awake. I saw her then. Right. Just really not consistent. He also gave them different numbers for how many beers he had had the night of her disappearance, mm-hmm. as well as what time he woke up the next morning to then discover her missing. Right. NBC News actually reported that Wendell behaved bizarrely in front of their cameras. Mm. You know, reporters, when a child goes missing and there's an investigation, sometimes reporters can be a little 
unethical yes. at this time where they're hanging out around the family home. You know, I imagine that Wendell and Louisa were going in and out of the house and reporters, hey, what about this? When's the last time you saw her? Right. Did police have any leads? Right. Tell me more about the investigation. Just kind of hounding them. Yeah. But NBC reporters said that Wendell was behaving bizarrely in front of their cameras. He threw himself off of the front porch steps, was crawling across the ground, and then pretended to throw a grenade. So that, to me, is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. Why would you do that in front of a news crew when they're asking you about your missing stepdaughter? Right. I don't know if it was just like a, fuck you, get off my property, I don't want to talk to you, I'm going to act like a total weirdo and ruin your footage, or... He was just not mentally sound. And we'll get into more of that later. Yeah, he definitely wasn't mentally sound. Correct. But that was just very bizarre behavior. Yeah, and investigators, too, were kind of looking at him weirdly, not even just for his behavior, Mm -hmm. but because of the comments he was making, like, get your butt home. Yeah, that's very inappropriate. Number one. And number two, three days after she had been missing and disappeared, Wendell told a reporter that the family was grieving. Yeah, that's a little suspicious, because at this point, Selena was just missing. We have no idea where she is. Investigators are still searching. The FBI Mm -hmm. is looking for her. The hope is that she's still alive, of course. And investigators thought that not only was that unusual, it was indicative that he already knew that she was dead. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it was just a Freudian slip or whether it was, you know, he was grieving her loss, not necessarily her death. Right. It was just a very poor choice of words. Yes. And, you know, given what we know now, it makes sense, but maybe he knows how these cases usually end up and was grieving her because he had a feeling she was dead. There's a whole bunch of things you could say, but just given how he was acting, what he was doing, how what he said, it was pretty suspicious for him to say we're grieving mm-hmm. when she was not known to be dead. Yeah. Very suspicious. Unfortunately, in the late morning of August 1st, 2011, not a week after she went missing, a person walking outside noticed a body at the edge of the Connecticut River. This, unfortunately, was the body of Selena. She had only been about half a mile from her home. For whatever fucking reason... I will never understand this. The police didn't pull Selena's body out of the water until 10.30 p.m. That night, she was found about 10.30, 11 in the morning. They left her body in the water for 12 hours more. Why? Even that 12-hour period, you have a whole day of August sun beating down on the body. You have her in the water, which is rapidly decomposing the body i.e. rapidly decomposing evidence. Why would you leave her in the water? You found her. You take the steps to properly preserve the crime scene and remove the body. Why on earth would you leave it in there so long? And even just for dignity purposes, too, thinking of a child's body left bobbing around in the water. Are you crazy? Terrible. Pull it out. And it doesn't To me, at that point, just take it out of the water. Yeah. Take it out of the water. What's the point? Conceal it. Something. Just take it out of the water. It's disrespectful. Yeah. To have crowds forming and everybody, oh, look at that. There's a body in the water. Wow, it's crazy. And having police gather. And I I imagine them 
because it was right by a train trestle and a dam. Mm. And it was a pretty popular fishing area. So Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised that someone was walking by that area and found her. Mm -hmm. But just, I imagine police gathering and standing shoulder to shoulder and looking down at her body. Do something. Yeah. When Selena was found, she had been submerged underwater. She was wrapped in a blanket and was partially clothed in her pajamas. At first, the medical examiners were being like super hush-hush with like their initial results of her autopsy or at least like the beginning first glances of what they thought maybe had happened. And of course, her poor family had to like sit and speculate on how they lost their child and their sister and their granddaughter and their loved one. They had to just sit there and be like, they found her body. Did she kill herself? Did she get murdered? How did she end up in the water? Why is she wrapped in a blanket? All these questions. It did not take very long for it to come out, though, that Selena had most definitely had a suspicious death. She was definitely murdered. Unfortunately, the autopsy revealed that Selena had water in her lungs when she died, meaning that she was alive when she went into the water. It's unclear, at least I didn't find anywhere that said whether she was conscious or not when she went into the water. You can only hope she was unconscious. I would imagine she was, given she was still wrapped in a blanket. So it's unlikely she fought or maybe she wasn't able to fight out of it. Right. And they also found a 50-pound sandbag that had been used to weigh her body down. Yeah. So I think... That part, too, I just, I hope that she wasn't aware of what was going on. You can only pray, because that's just so awful. She's 11 years old. And again, she's found wrapped in a blanket. She has this sandbag over her, and she's partially clothed in her pajamas. And we'll be more specific. She's wearing a pajama top. And I think like a sports bra or like a bra underneath it or something. She does not have anything on her bottom half, which is... All the more terrible. Wendell sought out inpatient psychiatric treatment shortly after Selena's body was found. Mm. And Louisa and Wendell actually soon separated in the coming months after Selena was found. I think it was just too much for them, especially for Louisa. Mm -hmm. Wendell had received a formal diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia in 2003. And shortly after this diagnosis, he was committed to a mental facility His doctors determined that he was schizophrenic following Wendell's breaking and entering into a home of an ex-girlfriend and threatening her. Yeah. He did go to a psychiatric stay after this, and he had several more hospitalizations in between this first initial one after he was diagnosed, and then this one after Selena was found. It seemed like, at first, the discovery of her body, it was very horrific, and just the way that everything unfolded and how they found her and then the stress with the medical examiners really not saying a whole lot. It seemed like it was a lot on Louisa, but where Wendell was not mentally sound Mm -hmm. at that time, he was really struggling mentally, even just with his behavior in front of the newscasters, like we talked about, he was really struggling. So I think that this kind of pushed him over the edge and he did seek treatment. And that was a very positive thing on his part. Sure. He knew that he needed treatment and that's exactly what he did, which is great. Um, But he does have a formal diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia and that has contributed to him doing some criminal stuff in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. 
both Wendell Noyes and Kevin Mullaney, who was the 22-year-old son of one of Luis's former boyfriends that was living with them, they were both subpoenaed by a Coas County grand jury in relation to Selena's murder. Wendell actually appeared before a grand jury in 2012, but neither of the two men were charged in relation to Selena's murder or her disappearance. Mm-hmm. So obviously, because this is where most investigations go, and rightfully so, typically the first people that the police look at are the men in the victim's life. So for Selena, that was her stepdad, Wendell Noyce, and this roommate of hers, 22-year-old Kevin Mullaney. So like you just said, her mom's ex-boyfriend had a son who was this guy, 22-year-old Kevin Mullaney, and he lived with Louisa and her two daughters and Wendell Noyes, the stepdad. So it was like a family unit plus Kevin. Okay, very bizarre. We don't know why he was living there, but he was. And so you just laid out real nicely the kind of mental health history of Wendell Noyes. You know, he was also an ex-Air Force member. He had been medically discharged due to mental illness, which is pretty telling. Now, about Kevin, Kevin wasn't a great dude himself. He was sharing a space in the basement with the two daughters. So Selena had a sister named Kayla who was 13-ish at this time, and then Selena was 11. Kevin was 22. He was sharing a space with these two girls, first in the basement, and then he got, like, a room to himself, and then the two girls lived in the basement, like, on a mattress. So tell me how that's fair. I hate every single part of that. I really do. Yeah. Me too. I hate every single part of that. And I'm not here to question parenting. No. And I'm not someone that wants to be a mom, but I just am thinking that if I had a child that was a daughter, especially, regardless of age, regardless of anything, Mm -hmm. I would not be having someone who was not a part of the family, Mm -hmm. a 22-year-old man, be living with my daughter. Right. Under the same roof, ideally, let alone in the same room. Yeah. If they had to be in the same house, okay, yeah, great, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not sleeping in the same room. Yeah. You Not got so catch up with that one. Mm-mm. Right. So, in January of 2012, so not quite six months after Selena's murder, Kevin was actually arrested for a whole slew of crimes not involving Selena. He was arrested for charges such as forging Louisa Cass's signatures. That's Selena's mom. He was also arrested for reckless conduct and possession of a weapon by a felon. Oh, yeah. Did we mention that when Kevin moved into the home, he was already a felon? So, unfortunately, there was a felon living with these two young girls and possibly, like, sleeping in the same room as them or, like, having access to their space. Mm -hmm. Which is really not great at all. In June of 2012, Kevin was found guilty and sentenced to two to six years in prison for those crimes that I just listed. Nothing to do with Selena. This is completely separate. On the one-year anniversary of Selena's disappearance, a vigil was held and several of her friends asked the crowd for a moment of silence before releasing balloons with handwritten notes on them. Her friends said that they were sending the balloons with a prayer that they would reach Selena. Oh, jeez. 
Selena's mother, Louisa, read a short written statement that said, quote, I asked why anyone would ever take my little girl away. She did nothing wrong. I hope whoever did this rots in hell in this life and the next. Mm. Interestingly enough, Wendell had been since discharged from his psychiatric stay, but he was not in attendance of this vigil for his stepdaughter. Hmm. Neither was Kevin, but that's because he was incarcerated at this time. Right. In December 2013, the apartment where Selena's family was living caught on fire. Oh. No one was injured, but the cause of the fire was never released to the public, which I think is very interesting. Mm. If it was just like an electrical fire or just a little accident, whoopsie daisy, Mm. that would have been released immediately. Yeah. After this, Louisa and her other daughter, Kayla, moved in with Kevin Mullaney's father, mm-hmm. Louisa's former boyfriend. Right. All the while, Selena's case has not been solved. It's still cold. Yeah. New Hampshire Senior Assistant Attorney General Jane Young told a reporter for the Associated Press in July of 2015 that Selena's case was still actively being investigated, but Selena's grandmother on her father's side. Marcia Laro said that she and her family hadn't spoken with any investigators in well over a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's messed up. And it had been like two years since the investigation started. Yep. So that's messed up. Yeah. Five years after her murder, in the summer of 2016, Wendell was suddenly charged with Selena's murder. The prosecutors were very hush-hush over the evidence at first, But then it came out, and everyone discovered that all the evidence was very circumstantial against Wendell. Very circumstantial. Firstly, an inmate at a jail came forward, and he said he had spent time in jail with Wendell in 2015. This was unrelated to anything with Selena. You know, this was not a charge that had to do with that. This inmate said that he had been told explicitly by Wendell... That he and another man were, quote, having sex with his stepdaughter. According to this inmate, that story was also followed up with Wendell saying that they, quote, had to get rid of her because they both thought there was a possibility she was pregnant. This is Wendell telling this to an inmate. Is that 100% credible? Not completely. No. Because it is also an inmate. Mm -hmm. That is definitely an example of circumstantial evidence. However... Interesting. I think it's very interesting. And I think that it's also very interesting that another man was mentioned. Yes. And I just speculation, of course, but Mm. I'm willing to bet that the other man's name rhymed with Levin (laughs) Bellaney. I bet you're probably right, Katie. Hmm. I bet you're probably right. I bet it was started with a K and ended with an Evan. I think it was definitely that. Yeah. Wendell had also not had one consistent story that night with Selena, you know, where she had been, what time she disappeared. And, you know, he kept changing how many beers he had, how many water, you know, you said it like already, like he had no consistent stories. After his arrest, it was recalled that the areas Wendell brought searchers to look for Selena in mm-hmm. were essentially a circle around where she was actually found. Yikes. There also, as you guys may recall, was a sandbag that had been used to help weigh Selena's body down, that and the comforter, the blanket. Right. Interestingly enough, after she had disappeared, it was discovered that a sandbag, very similar to the one found weighing down her body, had been missing Mm. from the collection of other sandbags in the back of Wendell's truck. That is very interesting. What do you know? 
That is very interesting. After Wendell's arrest, Louisa told reporters, quote, I hope he rots. She said that she hoped her ex-husband would end up in prison rather than in a psychiatric hospital, as he had in the past after other criminal charges. Right. And that Wendell had seemed like a loving and caring husband, but as time passed after Selena's death, she began to believe that he was the one who was responsible. That's very unfortunate. I wonder if that's why they separated, because she started thinking... Or maybe her mind was leading her to think mm-hmm. and suspect her own husband. Yeah. Which turns out... Maybe not too far off. Mm-hmm. That's really sad. Now, while all of the evidence against Wendell is very circumstantial, the evidence against our friend Kevin Mullaney is very physical. I think it's pretty fucking damning, even. Turns out there was physical evidence in the case. You know, it sounded like there had only been circumstantial and that was all they were going with. But there was physical evidence that they had collected. It wasn't connected to Wendell, though. It was connected to Kevin. Some of that evidence happened to be semen found on Sandy boxer shorts that were found in Selena's laundry hamper in the basement. Yes, I really did just say that. Sandy... Like, from a riverbank, perhaps? perhaps? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. Wow. I don't know. Uh, yeah. The, here, wait. Here's one more thing. Additionally, it was revealed that Selena's pajama bottoms and her underwear were found stuffed into a tire in the back of Kevin's truck. And yet, they arrested Wendell for the murder. One Reddit user... I used Reddit a lot in this because I well, I like what people say. One Reddit user summarized how the affidavit that was released when Wendell was arrested, they summarized how it, they played out the night of the murder of Selena and like how they estimated what happened that night or like kind of like a timeline of when the events would have happened. It starts off by placing Wendell in bed at about nine. Louisa also goes to bed. It can be confirmed that Selena was playing on the family laptop when she was last seen. It was like 9 p.m., 9.30. It seems like she probably played on the laptop from like 9 to 10.30. Then she changed into her PJs. For whatever reason, she grabbed a blanket and pillow and decided to sleep on the couch. Okay? The live-in house guest, her friend Kevin, arrived home from work at midnight. And this is confirmed because of like his timestamps at work, whatever. Um, he then claims he watched TV and hung out and then went to bed at 1.15. Of course, this can't be confirmed because that is, you know, part, nobody witnessed that, but that's what he said. Louisa later said that she remembers waking up that night. It was like 2 a.m. to go to the bathroom. She said Wendell was in bed and that when she got up to pee, she came back and then he got up to pee as well. And by the time he got back to bed, she was already asleep again. So she said she could not say 100% sure if he had gotten back into bed. Like, immediately after. She couldn't sit because she fell back asleep. And when she woke up the next morning, he was back in bed. So it was, like, whatever. The next morning, Kevin runs out of the house to go to work at, like, 6.45 a.m. And then there's also a woman named Eunice who I don't know where she comes into the picture. She might be a maid. I don't think she's a maid. Um, But she either lived there for whatever reason. She was doing the laundry. And... It was around seven, maybe it was like the public laundry. I don't know, because they were lived in an apartment. Like somebody had left the laundry in the machine. But it was around seven to seven thirty 
when she was folding the laundry and inside the laundry was Selena's top sheet of her bed or her blankets, whatever. Now Selena's bottom sheet would later be found six days later wrapped up with her body. So this is very interesting because you're not going to get to the top sheet without getting to the bottom sheet. If that makes sense. So clearly what they're thinking is that the killer came back and did laundry after murdering Selena. That's the thought, which I think is not too far off. Wow. Mm -hmm. Additionally, evidence later came out that involved a witness seeing Wendell's truck at a dam on the Connecticut River at roughly 2 a.m. And this can be confirmed with GPS tracking and timestamps. So that does point to Wendell. But it's a car. Wendell doesn't... He's not attached to the car. So it's very possible he was not in that car. But it's possible he could have been. Absolutely. And, you know, that was at 2 a.m. roughly. That's when, you know, Louisa got up to pee, roughly. And then if Wendell got up to pee after her and, you know, maybe he didn't go back to bed, who knows? That could put him there. Absolutely. Right. And that would explain why there was a sandbag missing from Wendell's truck and a sandbag resembling the other sandbags found in Wendell's truck found weighing down Selena's body. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to pick up a 50 pound sandbag and walk around with it, no. especially not when you're carrying a body. So it does make sense that maybe if Selena's body was, or Selena, because she was killed in the river, yeah. was transported in Wendell's truck, that's where they would have gotten the sandbag. Right. Right. Prosecutors said, don't worry, you guys. Don't worry about it. Kevin denies any involvement in the murder. And Kevin says that Wendell must have planted mm-hmm. her clothes in the back of his truck to frame him mm-hmm. and planted the boxers. Sure. Okay, yep, that, that totally makes sense. Because how the fuck do you plant somebody else's semen? You don't plant semen. You can plant the clothes. Sure. Fine. That that yeah, much right by. Easy. You don't plant semen. Unless this man, quite literally, in Kevin's sleep, managed to jerk him off to completion without waking him up, collect his semen, put it on a pair of boxers successfully, put that pair of boxers in sand or whatever, and then place it at the bottom unscathed. No, no, no. This just doesn't make sense. And I'm sorry, Wendell is very mentally ill. He does not seem smooth enough to get a plan like this through successfully. No, he was throwing pretend grenades at reporters. (laughs) Like, he's not... No. No. He's not mentally sound to pull off anything. And the court agrees. Absolutely. Absolutely. In February of 2017, the state attorney general's office ended up dropping the murder charge against the now 54-year-old Wendell Noyes as they felt he wasn't mentally fit to stand trial. Defense attorney Robin Malone stated, quote, Ultimately, the case was dismissed because no court is going to try a defendant who is not competent. Right. And the court was gunning for Wendell to be the murderer, you know? They wanted to put his ass away. They completely ignored, la 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 la, like, yeah, right. tuned out the information 
plausible information about Kevin. Physical evidence. Semen. Yeah, like, yeah, good story, bro. Let's look at Wendell instead. He's mentally ill. Right. Right. And then it really bit them in the ass because Wendell is genuinely not competent to stand trial. Yeah. And he instead was committed to a state psychiatric hospital for a minimum of five years for treatment. Mm -hmm. And the rule was, or the kind of the deal was, that if doctors at the hospital reevaluated him and felt that he was fit to stand trial Mm -hmm. at any point, the murder charges could be refiled. And then every five years, there will be a hearing to basically determine whether Wendell remains a danger to himself and or others. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, competency to stand trial refers to the present. Mm -hmm. Like, it really doesn't matter what his mental state was 30 seconds ago, five years ago, whatever. We're talking right now. Can he understand the charges against him? Can he kind of comprehend what's happening with the legal proceedings? Does he know his rights, et cetera, et cetera? Right. While insanity refers to whether or not the person was insane at the time the crime was committed. So two very different things. Sometimes they can get a little mumbled and jumbled together and kind of confusing. Um, But it's pretty obvious that Wendell may never be competent to stand trial. Right. And he's just going to stay at the psychiatric facility for the rest of his life, really, Mm -hmm. and be evaluated every five years and just see what happens. But... Me personally, I'm glad that he's getting treatment. I think that he does need treatment. Yes. But I think that he is not the one responsible. Oh, no. It was fucking Kevin Mullaney. No doubt. No doubt. I think maybe Wendell had some part in it, as in maybe he was an accomplice in a way. But I know for a fact it was Kevin I don't know for a fact. I have a really good feeling, though, because it just makes sense. The semen and the sandy boxers, the underwear and her pajama bottoms in his... I mean, come on. That's very obvious. Right. And as we recall, Selena's body was found wrapped in the blanket, of course. Mm-hmm. And then when they unwrapped her, she was partially clothed, mm-hmm. wearing only her pajama top mm-hmm. and maybe like a sports bra underneath. Her yeah. bottom half was not clothed. So where would her bottom half be? Their pajama bottoms that match the pajama top and her underwear. Right. What do you know? Hidden in a spare tire in the back of Kevin's truck. Yeah. That's a little suspicious. Coincidence, I think not. Right. I am going to use what one Reddit user laid out in the best way possible. And I am quoting them directly because I think this is exactly how I would have imagined the crime laid out. So I'm literally... I copy and pasted their whole comment because I think this is exactly what happened. So this is not my, you know, these aren't my words. This is not proven in any way, but I think this is a really good theory. Quote, Mulaney comes home drunk. He finds Selena sleeping on the couch. He wants to watch TV, so he wakes her up and makes her go down to her basement bedroom. Maybe she protests and he hauls her down there. Or she goes down willingly and he follows. But at some point he rapes her in the basement. A drunken impulse or possibly the latest iteration of ongoing abuse. She passes out or he knocks her unconscious and he panics, thinking she's dead. He wraps her body in her blankets and puts her in the back of Wendell's truck. He doesn't want to take his own truck because as noted in the affidavit, it's extremely loud and has a distinctive sound. At 2 a.m., he is drowning Selena in the river. He gets wet and is covered in sand. 
He goes back to the apartment, re-enters through the basement, and starts cleaning. He takes off his clothes, gathers the remaining sheet, starts a load of laundry. He returns to the basement to check if there's anything he missed and realizes that shit, he forgot to put his boxer shorts in the washer. He stuffs them in the laundry hamper, hoping they'll get mixed in with the girl's laundry. He moves the laundry to the dryer and then goes to bed. The next morning, he's the first one out of the house at 6.45. He walks outside and sees Selena's pajama pants lying in the grass. They'd fallen out of the bundle the night before, and he didn't see them in the dark. He panics, stuffs them in the back of his truck under some trash. End quote. I think that Reddit user absolutely hit upon every point. I think Selena, I don't think they ever officially said, but I think she absolutely was sexually assaulted. Yep. I mean, come on. Her pants were missing. Her underwear was missing. And then later found. There were boxers found with semen on them. Sure, maybe he was masturbating. Who, I mean, you know what? Even if he, who gives a shit? You know, whatever. He's a 22-year-old man. Okay, whatever. Who gives a shit? But the fact that it was in her hamper, they were sandy as if they were from a river or like outdoors. Is he going to be masturbating outside? If this is accurate and it says that he had the guest bedroom and the kids slept downstairs, he would have privacy. Why would he need to go masturbate in the sand? Unless that was a kink and whatever. But like, there, it just doesn't add up. I think him missing dropping her pants and underwear and then leaving the house in the morning first thing and finding it and just shoving it first place he could, I think that makes a lot of sense. Especially if he was drunk during this and, like, panicking. I think he was. Yeah. And then it also explains he didn't want to use his truck because it made a very loud, I'm sure it was, like, the muffler. You know those guys. We all say, we all know. The ones with the really big lifted trucks who make really loud sounds and it means their penis is really small. That was probably what we're talking about here. So he probably used Wendell's truck, which would explain the sandbag and would also explain why it was seen at 2 a.m. on that bridge or on that dam. The person didn't say they saw Wendell. They said they saw his truck and the time stamps from the GPS confirm his truck was there. Doesn't mean Wendell was there. I think that that Reddit user, if they don't already work for law enforcement, I think they need to because... Mm -hmm. Law enforcement needs help. That's the kind of critical thinking that we need. Right. Because it doesn't get more spot on than that. I would not mm -hmm. be surprised if that Reddit user later was like, yeah, I was up in a tree with binoculars watching all of this happen. Right. Right. Like pretty, right. pretty spot on. And I mean, just, I want to give this Kevin guy the benefit of the doubt that when he was sharing a basement room with two young girls that he was not doing anything nefarious to them. But where he's a convicted felon, I don't know. It could have been for anything. It could have right. been for possession of a weapon when he wasn't supposed to. It right. could have been for drug... Whatever. Whatever. We don't know. There is nothing we could find in his history that said he had assaulted anyone or sexually assaulted anyone. However, that doesn't mean he couldn't start. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Right. And just, I... Maybe nothing happened. Okay, great. It makes me so uncomfortable and nauseous to think of a 22-year-old man who is not related at all to this family sharing a room with a 13-year-old girl and an 11-year-old girl. Yeah. And honestly, when he was sharing a room with them, it was more in the past, so they were younger than that. Yeah. I don't like that at all whatsoever. That is mm -hmm. bizarre in all ways, shapes, and forms. Yeah. 
and then having just a loose pair of boxers with semen in it. Even if that wasn't, even that night, even if it was he literally just came in his pants and was just throwing his uh, underwear in there to have the laundry done and it was nothing nefarious, it was just, oh, I forgot to put my box, you know, whatever. He still put it in the laundry basket where children, maybe the next day Kayla would go in and grab a bra from the other day because she didn't have any more clean ones or whatever. That's so inappropriate and so disgusting. Mm Mm-hmm. Very vile. And the fact that all the evidence they had against Wendell, circumstantial. And then they had Kevin's semen, as physical as it can get. As direct as it can get. And they still were like, no, this guy Wendell, he is mentally ill. I, the whole thing just floors me. And, like, you could speculate, you could come up with multiple reasons for Kevin's sandy semen-covered boxers. Like, maybe he went for a night swim. Whatever. Yeah. And then he immediately came in his shorts. <laughs> whatever his kink is. Whatever you want to dismiss that part as, it really does not get more cut and dry than the fact that Selena's body was found naked from the waist down and the matching pajama pants to her pajama top she was wearing mm-hmm. and her underwear were found shoved in a spare tire in the back of his truck. Mm-hmm. It really does not get more damning than that. No, how do you explain that away? You can't. You can't. I just, I am so floored at this. And I I don't know if they'd ever be able to revisit it, but I really hope that Kevin Mullaney is not around any young girls. I hope that he's in prison for some other crimes because clearly he's a criminal. He is, for sure. I hope that he's locked behind bars. I I don't care for what, but he needs to not be around other people. Discipline and Wendell needs help as well. That's for sure. I'm glad Wendell's receiving help. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that it happened for, in my opinion, the wrong reasons. Right. Maybe he did know about it. Maybe he even took part in it. I don't know. But I really think that they got the wrong guy. I think so as well. I think the official stance of True Crime New England is it was Kevin Mullaney in that uh, Wendell Noyes, while very mentally ill and correctly receiving treatment, did not do this. He's not slick enough. Agreed. He's just not. Man, that's a tough one. Yeah. Very tough. Poor Selena. Cute little girl, talented, athletic young girl. And her life, she's now been dead longer than she's been alive. Mm-hmm. Very upsetting. Oh, her poor mom. Yeah, her poor mother. It's devastating. So, guys, we want to know what you think. Do you think it was Wendell Noyes? Or are you on the, our side, the right side, <laughs> and think it was Kevin Mullaney? Please let us know what you think. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at True Crime Any. Oh, lowercase. Or you can send us an email at truecrimeny at gmail.com. You could also go to our website, truecrimene.com. We have a handy-dandy submission tool under our contact page where you can be anonymous if you so choose. Leave your name if you so choose. But you can let us know your thoughts on this case, other cases we have covered, questions, comments, concerns, and you can suggest cases to us based in New England, please. Of course, you can be anonymous, but if you do want to leave your name, you can get a little shout out at the top of our episode for having suggested it to us. Thank you again to Molly M for using our website submission tool and also to Carrie R for using our Instagram DMs to both suggest this very intriguing, infuriating, etc., etc. case to us. And we cannot thank you guys enough for listening and being here with us. Absolutely. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.